Well, we are in this uh, ending of Galatians, and we're in chapter 6, and you know, there's a, there's a healthy way for us to really uh, begin to look at whether or not our relationships are aligned the way that they should be, and really what it comes down to is we are able to relate to others the way that God intends us to relate to them horizontally in our life when vertically that relationship is secure. When we are truly walking, as we looked at last week, in the fruit of the Spirit as it exhibits itself in our life, then that's going to impact the relationships all around us. And that totally, I mean, it makes sense. And what we're going to do is we're going to dive into chapter 6 and see in a real practical way how that really plays itself out. Um, it's important, I think, for us to look back for just a moment, though, and to think through, okay, well, what, what was the video talking about? It was talking, again, about this battle that rages inside of us, right? And it is this battle uh, between the flesh and the spirit. And the impact of feeding our flesh or our sinful nature does what? Well, it produces destruction. It produces those seeds of destru- the fruit of destruction and that list that uh, was on the screen there, sexual immorality, idolatry, jealousy, fits of anger, dissension, division. But when we walk in the Spirit, when we allow the Spirit who lives in us to connect us to this living, breathing document that is the Word of God, and then we begin to act on what is being shown to us through that connection, then what occurs is we begin to be transformed. And what Scripture tells us is that transformation becomes us looking more and more like Jesus. And what that ultimately means is as our character is becoming more like Christ, it starts to exhibit all of the fruit that's in that good list, that we are loving and joyful and kind and compassionate to others. So in this final chapter, it's really as if Paul is saying, okay, now let me give you this really practical way of how this is lived out. All right. Uh, I think sometimes we, again, and we say this all the time, right? We, we sometimes read scripture, unfortunately, with the numbers in a way that divides it in our brain. But really, as he was writing this, he wasn't thinking, okay, now we're in chapter six. Well, no, actually, this is a continuation of what he's been talking about in chapter five. And now he's coming to an example. Verse one of chapter six. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression... Now, that word caught there has to do with, they would have heard that word before. It would have meant something to them. Almost, it would have meant as if, like, say, the, the, there was a Roman legion that was just overrun by a Jewish military force. You say, well, what? Would that really happen? Well, no, actually, not normally. It wouldn't. And so maybe, uh, oh, we thought we were stronger. We thought we would win. But what did the Romans do? They would let down their guard. And in letting down their guard, they were caught. And what Paul is getting at here is that that's what happens or can happen to us. That all of a sudden, we think we're stronger than we are. We think we're invincible. We think all of these things and all of a sudden, we find ourselves, and really not all of a sudden, and we'll get to this in a minute, but we end up in an affair or in an addiction or in a destructive habit And maybe that habit is one of deceit or of lust or greed or laziness or impatience or anger. The list goes on and on. 
And so we're challenged in Scripture often to, to stay together, uh, to combat that drift that can occur in our lives as we uh, begin to plant those seeds in the wrong place. Hebrews 3.13 says, But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. What is God saying here? He's saying, listen, I don't want anybody to get into this trap of slowly drifting away, so let's do life together. Do you know someone who's, who was walking with God at one point, and then all of a sudden you looked and realized, whoa, they, they're, they've kind of steered a totally different course now. Well, it seemed like their marriage was going so strong, and now, oh, wow, I mean, they're separated. I, did, I totally didn't see that. Oh, I can't believe it. I mean, no, I haven't seen them in church in so long. Well, they haven't been to our small group in so long. Well, they haven't. Sure, and, and maybe for some of us, we'd go, you know what, that, that was really, that was me. I, I, I was there. I was in that moment. I was that person. But you know what? Somebody came to my rescue. So we, we lived in this house uh, when we were in Knoxville, and it was a, it was a three-story house. Uh, not, not a, a massive house by any stretch of imagination, but it was, it was, it was three stories. They called it a Knox box structure. Um, and, and it was really kind of two and a half. Uh, the, at the bottom was kind of a walkout basement kind of deal. And so, but we lived kind of in the, in the top two floors there. And, um, and, and they had real steep stairways. And, um, and so there were two different stairways because of the way this, the, the house was built. And, uh, and, and I tell you what, I, I, I really enjoyed that house. I mean, I, I did. I, I, I loved waking up in the morning and pouring a cup of coffee and walking out onto the deck that was right off of the kitchen. And literally between 10 o'clock and 2 o'clock were the Smoky Mountains. And I could see them off in the distance and I could see the lake. I mean, it was just fantastic. The only problem with that house was it was really hard to keep our kids alive in that house. Um, the yard was really, it was hard for me to stay alive in that house, especially anytime I tried to cut the grass. It was just, we were built on this hill and everything was just like this, right? And there was one particular moment in time when I remember uh, Silas was, I mean, he was not even walking yet. He couldn't even stand up on his own. And, you know, I mean, we, so, so I, was, I was turning the, the corner there and I looked up and I mean, I mean, he had been out of my sight for like this, this long. And he had, he had somehow climbed step by step all the way up, almost to the very top of the staircase, of this steep staircase, and had chosen at that point in time to, I guess, now stand up. And I mean, my heart was just like, ha! Ah! And so you know what I did? I went, oh my goodness, he's going to be so mad at me. There's no way I'm going to go up there. I mean, he is going to be so frustrated if I get into his business. No, that's not what I did. Actually, what I did was I was like, well, I hope he doesn't fall. I mean, he should know better. He's been in this house his whole life. I mean, a good several months. No, that's not what I did. You know what I did? I was jumping three steps at a time to get to him. That's what I did. Everyone has the potential to drift or to climb into, or to descend down into a bad place. And you know what you know how it happens? It happens one step at a time, just like Silas going up those stairs, one step at a time. 
And we have to be so very alert. Behavioral changes don't just happen overnight. It starts with compromises, small ones, then bigger ones. It's the boiling water that the frog hops out of. But as the water starts to get heated up, then he's cooked. I wonder what's on this website. Well, I don't think it's a really big deal to not tell him, really. Well, I mean, it's only a meeting for coffee. It doesn't mean anything, really. Well, I'll start giving to the church again when things start to normalize in our life. They'll never know that I told somebody else what they told me. I mean, it'll never get back to them that I... Well, I should have given, been given this perk to begin with. I mean, the fact that I'm just going to make it happen for myself, I mean, that's what's really fair. I mean, I know I can't afford it, but, you know, the family would just love it if we spent the money on this. I know I was loud, but it was trying to prove a point. I mean, they deserved what they got from me. The sequence of drifting away from God. James chapter 1, verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. And so uh, what happens is our behavior really does start even to begin to shape our belief system. When we drift away from our Heavenly Father, we think or believe our experiences may be unique, right? Or justified or tolerated. I've I've never been appreciated like this. I've never had a love like this. But, you know, I'm, I'm on a personal journey. No, actually what it's called is deceitfulness of sin. And the pathway is never a decision. It's a path of decisions. God's telling us in Galatians 6, when you see someone walking up that path, listen, run up the stairs. Jump two and three stairs at a time. And what does Hebrews 3 say? It says that the purpose of encouragement, of warning, is that none of us would be what? That we would be hardened by that deceitfulness. I was talking with a pastor just this week. And this pastor was talking about how many people just in the last month he had encountered that had a hard heart. That he had interviewed. And it wasn't people that he was just casually talking to on the street about life in general. No, these were people who had professed at some point faith in Christ. The writer in Hebrews is stating a truth that connects to our passage tonight. Because here's what Paul says. He says, listen, here's what I want you to do. I want you to, and then he tells us how to go up the stairs. Galatians 6.1, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Did you catch that? Remember that word? We read that word just last week. He went back. He grabbed it from chapter 5 and said, here's this fruit of the spirit right here. I'm giving you an example of how to walk in the spirit. You see, whenever someone is teetering at the top of the stairs and they're about to crater, approach them in gentleness. They would have understood this phrase to mean maybe in the setting of a broken bone or in the mending of a net. That's in their culture what they would have understood it to be. It's that way that that would have happened. And we understand that. I mean, your kid breaks their arm and you go to urgent care and it's on the weekend and you walk in. I think my kid's arm is broken. 
you're not staying there if the person goes, let me see that. That's not what's going to happen, right? No, they're actually going to approach that moment with gentleness. Is that our first response to sin in the lives of others? Oftentimes it's not. Why? Because we end up planting those seeds in the flesh. And we live in that. I've got to keep my distance from them. (laughs) Well, you know, what they did was just totally unacceptable. I am so angry at them. Oh, that's so sad. I really hope somebody will help them. I would never do that. I mean, you get the picture. We have all kinds of different ways that we can retaliate or respond or retreat or gossip or maybe it's condescension or pride or judgment or anger or dissension or division. And all of a sudden, which list did we just enter in chapter 5? That's why Paul continues with Galatians 6. Be, keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing. Well, wait, hold on. That means any one of us. Wow. He deceives himself. But let each one test his own work. And then his reason to boast will be in himself alone. And not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. So the word burden or load, it it shows up in this portion of this chapter twice. It's it's actually two different words. The first in verse 2, burden or bari, it's a load that's so heavy that it is necessary for someone else to help you with it. But in verse 5, the word that's used there is fortion. And that's actually a soldier's knapsack. That's what that description would be for. And so actually when you look at the scripture here, he's using future tense to describe what's happening with this word. And so in essence, he's he's forecasting now all the way to the final judgment, commentators say. That each one of us, as described in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, are going to stand before God and give an account as to how we've lived, as to what we have built on the foundation of the salvation that we have received from our faith in Christ. And each one of us will have our own fortione, our own load, the load that has been built. That load is not one that we share. That one is that one that we bring. But this other load in verse, chap, verse 2, that's a burden that needs help. And the attitude with which help is offered is critically important. Uh, in the 1990s, some would argue back when there was really, really good country music. There were two different songs written seven years apart with virtually the same title. Two different artists. One of them who became quite popular over the last couple of years for people who weren't even in in country music, Keith Urban. He wrote the song, But for the Grace of God. A couple of the lyrics. I can hear the neighbors, they're arguing again, and there hasn't been peace on our street. If you want to sing along, feel free. Since who knows when. I don't mean to listen in, but the shouting is so loud. I turn up the radio to drown it out, and silently I say a little prayer. But for the grace of God go I, I must have been born a lucky guy. It's another country artist by the name of Paul Overstreet who wrote a song by the same name. 
The lyrics go, oh, there but for the grace of God go I. How without compassion can we pass them by? It could be you, it could be me. The world is locked outside, but for the grace of God go I. The time has come for everyone to learn to help another. Could, we could turn this whole wide world around if we only loved each other. In one scenario, the person ignores the needs of others and walks away just thankful, oh, but for the grace of God go I. In the other scenario, the person steps into the needs of others, humbly thinking, wow, but for the grace of God, go I. That's the attitude of Galatians chapter 6. What Paul is saying is, in humility, I am driven to action that is filled with gentleness and not condemnation. Let's keep going. Verse 6, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So Paul starts the process of closing down the letter. And he takes us back again into this, this battle between the flesh and the spirit and what we're going to feed. And how it is that we step into others' lives and how important it is to do that very thing. He says, especially with those in the household of faith. It's not exclusively to that. No, we do good things for those who don't know Christ yet as we show Christ to them. But you understand the context. What's happening in the early church in this moment is believers are encountering enormous economic hardship and rejection and persecution. There was enormous need in the body of Christ in this moment. The opportunity to show good to one another was great. I think maybe now more than ever, we are aware, as never before, of the needs that are around us, of the needs of those who are hurting around the world who are believers, who follow the same Jesus and yet are involved in such tragic circumstances. Let's watch this video. And so this was an emphasis that started last Sunday around our country to be reminded of what opportunity we have to stand with them, to pray, to give, to be involved, because our faith has always been designed to what? To be an active one, to do good. So whether it's humbly stepping into someone's life that you see teetering at the top of the stairs or maybe giving to an organization that's helping those who love and are following the same Jesus that you do. There seems to be this familiar message here that we have to do something that really goes against our natural inclination of minding our own business. Just with the phrase that we started off with when we had the kids up here, that's not a phrase that's really a part of this book. We have to fight against the temptation to become, I guess you would call it maybe a rational isolationist. To be able to rationalize away why we wouldn't act and why we would choose to be isolated. I think a learned Christian response oftentimes is to say, well, I'll just pray. Now, 
make no mistake, prayer should always be the first thing that drives us. It should be the first place that we go, the first thing that we do, the most powerful of all. It's the first. As a matter of fact, we're inviting our church to come and be a part of a time of prayer, not this Wednesday, but the following on May the 4th. It's the day before the National Day of Prayer. And we still have student ministry things that are going to kick off here at 6.30 as normal. Most of the children's ministry things, I think, have ended. But even before the students start at 6.30, before the Bible studies for men and women kick off at 6.30, we're inviting anybody from the church, from the community to come and be a part of a prayer time that we're going to have from 6 to 6.30 here in this spot. And it's going to be a time for us to pray, to pray for our community, for our nation, for those who are persecuted, for one another. And then at the conclusion of that 30-minute period of time, we're going to give you a guide that's going to give you an opportunity to really plan out how you and your family could continue to pray for these types of things as we go into the next day, which is the National Day of Prayer. The problem isn't that we, are will it, that we aren't willing to pray, I don't believe, or see it as our default. I think that's something that we could all collectively agree on. I think the challenge is that sometimes what we miss out on is the fact that God has called us to actually be a part of the answer, to actually be used. Acting. How do we do that? How do we act in these challenging moments? When a friend is caught and teetering at the top of the stairs, how do we act in a way that brings about restoration? I've listed a couple of things up there, just the how-to, that we would be driven by humility. That above all, we're going to say, you know, my response is going to be based out of, wow, you know what, there's nothing in me that's one step away from being in that same place that they're in. I humbly walk in wanting to be a help. Guided by wisdom, the wisdom that comes from God, asking the question, is this person involved in clear disobedience to God's word? Why are you going to ask that question? Because sometimes people may be involved in things that just frustrate you <laughs> or frustrate me. It doesn't have anything to do with a violation of God's word. It doesn't have anything to do with anything that's truly harmful to the body of Christ or harmful to them spiritually. And so we've got to say, whoa, wait a minute. Let's go back to God's word and see here. And what is the goal? Is my goal to restore, to love, to bring peace, to reconcile? And, you know, is there additional counsel that needs to be brought in? Brian and Edie Sanders do an amazing job of marriage counseling here. They know just how far to take their time with people and then oftentimes we'll end up referring them on to somebody else. As a matter of fact, you can even do that personally. You say, what do you mean? We've got a list of counselors that our church recommends and, and, and really pushes people to that are respected counselors that our church says, hey, we believe that these are people that if you or someone else is struggling, need some help, we believe in these people that you can go to them and they're in our community and it's on our website. Say, you know, I'm going to be guided by wisdom and step into that. I'm also going to be grounded in love. I'm not, it's not going to be a quarrelsome thing. Instead, it's going to be with kindness and patience. And again, that word that Paul brought back to us from chapter 5, gentleness. I'm also going to make sure that everything is based on God's word. That it's not going to be based on my opinion. And I'm going to be aware of the spiritual battle. That it really is a spiritual battle, you see. And so that's going to drive me to prayer. And in the end, what I'm going to say is, you know what? I'm ready to persevere. 
that I'm going to say, God, however you choose to use me, and I recognize this that I'm stepping into is probably not something that's going to be solved in a day. And my commitment is to you, God, and to how you would choose to use me as I commit to stand with my brother or sister in Christ. How do we act when someone sins against us? Matthew 18 gives us the answer for that. We could build a whole sermon off of that. We won't tonight. But Jesus speaks about four steps, a private conference with that individual. And if there's no reconciliation, bringing a couple of other people into the mix. And if they're still not bringing the church into the mix and having them help you in that process. And if they're still not taking it even in another step. And this is hard. Maybe how do we act whenever we have the opportunity to just do good? What did Paul say again? Let us not grow weary in doing good. We make the most of every opportunity. Ephesians 5.16, to pray, to give, to share, to go. Paul concludes this way. He says, see with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. I love the end of this verse because you don't see Paul do this any other place. He says, did you catch it? He says, basically he's saying, listen, I'm taking the pen away from my scribe now. And I'm going to start writing. And if I had a MacBook, I would make this in bold and I would underline it and I would italicize it. But because that hasn't been invented yet, I'm just going to write really, really big. That's pretty much what he's saying here. And so he writes really, really big for emphasis. And why is he writing this really big? Because at the end of his chapter, he's going back and he's saying, listen, here's what you've got to realize. These Judaizers who are all about you know, getting people to go under the knife, to be a part of this circumcision, to go back into being under with this burdensome load of under the law and all the laws that have been created. Listen, this is not about building up the numbers for the going under the knife campaign. But that's what they're boasting in. And that's not what it's all about. Here's what you got to boast in. you got to boast in Jesus. That ultimately, it's all about being a new creation. And he wanted that to be loud and clear at the end of his chapter. Verse 18, may the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. He's saying, listen, it's all about grace. It's all about being connected to all that we have access to and that we are afforded to because of this new relationship. That we can walk in love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness. And that we can respond to people who are teetering at the top of the stairs in gentleness. With the goal of reconciliation, with all humility, all for the glory of God. We can do this as we walk in the Spirit. 
And we realize it's all because of Jesus. That's the book of Galatians. That was his focus. So there's two questions. What Christian do you know who has been caught? Who's teetering at the top of the stairs? And who in your circle feels free and empowered to come rushing in when they see that you're caught? When they see that you're in a place where they need to run up the stairs for you? So Fanny Crosby in 1869 was in this kind of this, this role of, I mean, she was, she was writing these songs, you know, these, these contemporary worship songs that, that today we call hymns. She was writing these, she was busting these songs out, you know. She was speaking at this, 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 this large gathering of people. And she stopped in the middle of her talk and she, she sensed that what God was doing was, was, was calling her to call somebody out in the midst that somebody needed to be rescued. And she just said to everybody, listen, there's a, there, there's a son who is in this room that is far away from his mother's teaching. And he desperately needs to come home. He needs to be rescued. And then she just went on. <laughs> she just finished her talk and said amen. And she was at the end, at the, at the, at the, at the, at the foot of the stage and an 18-year-old kid walked up and said, uh, Ma'am, could it be that possibly you were talking to me? And as she started to talk to him, she discovered, yeah, he had, he had, he had really gone way away from his parents' teaching. That he wasn't a believer, that he had been running. And as they talked, he gave his life to Jesus. Fast forward 35 years. Well, before you do that, she went home that night and she wrote... A song, a song called Rescue the Perishing. Care for the dying. Jesus is merciful. Jesus will save. That song was so important for her, it became this battle cry of sorts for her as she began to speak, as she began to talk to other people. She would talk, and as she would walk throughout her life, she was always thinking, who is it that needs to be rescued? And how, God, would you choose to use me? And that song ministered to her personally. 35 years later, she was telling the story of that song and how God had used that moment to draw that song out of her. And it was for a YMCA, a Young Men's uh, Christian Association meeting. And at the end of it, this man walked up and said, I just wanted you to know that was me. And I've been following Jesus all my life. Now, you know, I'm thinking about that song and I'm thinking, who is it? that 35 years from now might come up to you or to me and go, you know what? Because you stepped in. Because you called me out in love. Because you were willing to allow God to be the rescuer with all humility. God has done amazing things in my life. Let's pray. God, Thanks for giving us this moment, a reminder that you've called all of us into the ministry of reconciliation, into the ministry of recovery and restoration, and that God, it really is 
something that is so in tune and in line with who you are, it speaks at the very heart of you. And so, God, in this moment, open our eyes, open our vision to how you might want to use us. And God, how you would invite other people into our sphere of influence to be used in our lives if we take steps toward destructive fruit. God, may we be those who rescue.